One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Welcome. Hi, welcome back. Welcome to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily. And I'm Margo. Well, we have a topic today that we love because it has been 20 fucking years since 1999. How insane. I also saw a very accusatory meme meme today, and it was a picture of, like, one of those old Sony, like, cyber cam, like, digital cameras, and it's like, if you went to the club with one of these, you need night cream, and I did go to the club with one of those, (laughs) and that's so fucking rude. (laughs) <laughs> oh man, and that but that was the time when so many different cameras were also being advertised. Like I remember the iZone, which was like Polaroid sticky oh, film I camera. I went to many a birthday party oh, where yeah. it was the theme was ostensibly iZone pictures of yourself. We totally had one between my sister and I, and it was made many a vacation uh, appearance. And it's not like I was ever asking for quality from those instant cameras. No. But I remember it was especially dark; like you could never see anybody. No, even on the brightest day at the sunniest fucking pool party, everybody was in the shade for some reason and it was just so small so like you couldn't see yeah just well you're just like stick them all over your binder and stuff but that's how you lose them and then other people pick them up and put them in their locker and that's creepy that is very creepy i didn't know anyone who did that but (laughs) (laughs) you did apparently yes well yeah people had done that around my school i had noticed wow I also did have a friend who found an old, like, wallet-sized school portrait of some dude that she had a crush on. She kept it. (laughs) And I would remind her of that frequently. She's like, don't tell anybody. I'm like, I'm not going to. I'm just going to always keep pointing it out to you as weird. I feel like that reminds me. But I never, like, I never bullied her enough to toss it. She was just like, it's not, it's fine. He doesn't know. I'm like, that's... The whole, that's my whole point, though, that he doesn't know. That just reminds me, for whatever reason, of that episode in Pen15 where they steal the thong from, like, one of the girls, because one of the girls in their class had a thong, and then they proceeded to wear it. Like, not quite as, like, I think that's even creepier, but, like... That's, yeah, that's, and that's also, not on the same level as no. Chad Brewster's seventh grade school photo, no, but... No, no, And also much more sanitary than taking someone's... Yeah, no. There was also once like a a whole a whole thing between I forget which friend and some football player. Or like she had his hat and then they broke up and she wouldn't give him back the hat. And then when she did give him back the hat, she like burnt she like gave him like the burned hat or something. I can't really quite remember how it goes, but 
<laughs> now we've gone on a whole tangent about <laughs> stuff that happened in 99 and also oh, right. not in 1999. Which, which brings us back to that iconic year, which had so many iconic looks, movies, TV shows, and yes, songs. Oh, so many songs. And one, songs that kind of span different genres. I mean, it was a year where just about any type of genre or fusion of genres could get a hit song. Well, this episode is mostly inspired by Rolling Stone's 99 songs of 1999, because as they so aptly point out in the beginning, this was when every single genre had not only a hit, but created some really long-lasting stars. Yeah. And it was a completely, like, fleeting moment for some people, like Len, which I have the pleasure of diving into. <laughs> um, and these are, like, songs that we still can hear now that people love to sing at karaoke. They have that sort of, like, wistful a time past quality to them. Yeah, even All Star by Smash Mouth is, like, kind of quaint right now for some reason. But I think that it's because it was sort of pre-Napster, mid-TRL, like, it was the peak time of Disney to mainstream pipeline with, like, Britney and Christina mm -hmm. and even some of, like, the NSYNC guys. Lou Pearlman's Ponzi scheme, like, that was at its apex. Oh, yeah. Because NSYNC and Backstreet Boys are both charting, and they're both on this list, and we're not going to cover them because we have an entire episode dedicated to them, so you can just, like, go back and listen to the boy band yeah. episode. And conversely about Britney as well, we're not going to cover Baby One More Time. Although... Technically, it is 98, but it blew up in 99, yep. and I believe the video came out in 99, and that was fucking huge. I mean, that's what made the song oh, yeah. so successful, I believe. Yeah. Probably in addition to, like, the Rolling Stone cover and all the other things that happened to her in 99, but we're not covering that either, because we also have an entire Britney episode. Yeah. So, anyway, this was also probably the time in the 90s where, like, record labels just had so much fucking money. So much money. And I imagine, like, if, <laughs> if Martin Scorsese didn't love the 70s so much he should have made vinyl about the 90s because i imagine it's just like wall street in the 80s with like just tons of coke and like a bunch of disposable income to like just take chances on literally whatever because there are also some bands on that list some we'll talk about some we won't that honestly feel like they were created in a lab yep. just to have a one-hit wonder right just similar to like a ponzi scheme right. it had a real lou perlman-y touch to it i mean and this is really one of those last years where any of those people sold at least a like had a platinum record to their name this was also the one song this was also the last because this was the last time that people had to physically leave their home yep. and buy an entire yep. album in order to just listen to one song yeah so that also has a huge impact on just like the numbers, like the numbers that some of these people did is crazy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People that you will never hear from again, but hopefully make good royalty checks off of their songs being used in commercials and TV shows. Because there are some that definitely keep getting played and you're like, whatever happened to Macy Gray? Um, well, <laughs> he's not on the list, but Lou Bega? Oh, yeah. Mambo like, number five? Yeah, I think that just missed the cut because I think that was like 2000. Yes. So, but also in addition to all, and we sort of just touched on it, but in addition to these songs being like hits and super catchy and everywhere at the time, especially in 99, uh, they had music videos that yeah. are sort of iconic and stand out in your mind. And some of them have gone on to be sort of blueprints. Some are just made by the same three directors over and over again. And you can tell that it's Hype Williams, Mick G, and who was the third? Oh, there's, oh God, oh, Spike Jones. Spike Jones. No, who's the other Mick G alike? Um, there's okay, Spike Jones, Mick G, uh, Hype Williams, um, 
Dave LaChapelle? No. No, not really. No. I'm forgetting the name. But, well, just shout it out when it comes back to you. Yes. But to tie it all back to the Rolling Stone article, I would like to use a quote uh, from Rob Sheffield's article quoting the unproblematic king of the 90s, Mark McGrath. And he so thusly described 1999 as, you would hear Kiss FM or Z100 coming right up, Mariah Carey, Blink-182, Eminem, Sugar Ray. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? And he's completely right. Yeah. Those songs were all, everybody had hits. Yeah. Everybody was making money. It was, I mean, record labels were literally printing money. I, I felt like they had so many sub-labels that don't even exist anymore. Like, arms of, well, first of all, Jive doesn't exist anymore, yeah. but... Even, like, the sub-labels that had, like, big like names the work attached. Group, the work group at Sony, like... Oh, uh, right. There was... Epic was its own thing at that point. Like, you had all these, yeah, subsidiary labels. Like, under Interscope, you had um, so many different labels as well, like, sub-labels. It was a weird time, and like we've said in many episodes, so much A&R money was just being thrown everywhere oh, we found someone for this very specific niche genre. Let's go find two other people. I feel like they did so much market research to create such highly tailored bands. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like now with streaming services and their highly tailored content for audiences that, I mean, you have like niche, niche, niche. Podcast networks. Not even and like streaming anything online. Yeah. So it's interesting to see. This was sort of the precursor to that, where it's over, 99 is an overload, it's almost an embarrassment of 90s riches, because it's, I feel like, a culmination of an entire decade. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. So we have picked seven songs each, and then we have just some, like, honorable mentions that we'll tack on at the end that yes. we both really like. They were both on our short lists. I don't know if, like, we wanted to, like, do as much research about them versus, I think when it came down to it. We picked the ones that we really wanted. So we picked seven songs yeah. that we both really liked and identified with. And we sort of split them into different categories, like One Hit Wonders, just rap, R&B, like standard categories. Yep. But I think we're going to kick it all off with One Hit Wonders, if you would like to start. Sure thing. Okay, so for my One Hit Wonder pick, I picked I Try by Macy Gray. Um, I went from loving this song to being annoyed by how overplayed it was, because it was really everywhere. In every TV show, every radio station, because it was, like, adult contemporary, but R&B, but pop, and, like, anyway. And slow, and, and like. slow, yeah. And it was really inoffensive, and right. she has a nice voice, she so. Does. She does. Um, and I went to, I came back to re-loving it again in the last ten years, because my friend Luke <laughs> used to live in a group house with a bunch of guys who ranged in age from early 20s to early 40s. Um, they all collectively love to play this song at any given moment. <laughs> so was it, what do you say, because I also feel like in my group of friends, we'll, we'll just randomly play, like, Kiss from a Rose. Yeah. Maybe it's like a generational thing. This was one, for whatever reason, this one song was I Try by Macy Gray, and they had it queued up in a CD player in their living room. They're, once in a while, over beers, they would just be like, hey, you want to play Macy? Okay. And they would hit oh the God. play button, and it would just, you could hear it everywhere. Um, but more on to the facts of this song. <laughs> The video is directed by Mark Romanek, who also directed the Johnny Cash Hurt music video, Closer by Nine Inch Nails, Can't Stop by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, Scream by Michael and Janet Jackson, Criminal by Fiona Apple, and Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. (laughs) What a career. What a cap. (laughs) This guy also co-directed Sandcastles from Beyonce's Lemonade album. He has won 20 MTV Music Video Awards and has won three Grammy Awards for Best Short Form Music Video. More than any other director. 
Interesting. This music video, I just, we rewatched it together, and it was just like Macy Gray on a bunch of different forms of public transportation <laughs> in New York. Like, Macy on the bus, Macy on the subway. I feel like, oh, isn't it cute that she's a working class girl? Yeah. I felt like that was a theme in music videos for a little while that was bizarre. And the, and the color palette of her outfit she's wearing, of course, this is also a big 90s thing, like long sleeves, but the jacket has shorter sleeves than the sweater. <laughs> well, it was like having layers, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's visible, like when you wear like a long layer. sleeve shirt yeah. underneath your t-shirt. Yep, yep. Very, very big. Visible layers. Um, and it was like an orange, it's like a turquoise jacket, an orange sweater, and then she has pink Gerber daisies that she buys the florist um it's just yeah just a really time capsule late 90s i you know now i I think i can re-listen to that song and really enjoy it one because of my friend luke but two also just realizing like it's a great song and yeah i think i i enjoyed it as you noted when we were watching this music video (laughs) the way that the music swells and there's like an exterior shot where you go up a high rise you're like this seems like someone's about to commit suicide it's a hotel like it literally the shot just like pans up quickly to the top and Especially with the swell of violins. It was yes. like an ominous string section yes. moment. It yes. was such an odd choice. And just, I, yeah, something scary was about to happen. Or as you said, so like a Hitchcock, a Hitchcock twist. Yeah, like a vertigo, like she was going to, I don't know, be losing her balance or something yeah. in the middle of her <laughs> hotel house room or wherever the fuck we are. Such a strange music video. Yep. Do you have any info on what Macy Gray is up to now? Do you have a where are they now? Um, not for Macy Gray. I think she's kind of been releasing albums over the past few years. I remember that she did sing, sing the theme song from that Nickelodeon cartoon show, As Told by Ginger. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And she also had a couple of like other songs that were in movies, but that was really her one big song. I think I remember she had a follow-up hit in the album after this one called sweet sweet baby and that's pretty much that's macy gray i mean she's she's released other music but it has not by any means caught on to the same level of success as i try okay that makes sense well my one hit wonder is still my sunshine by lang a song i fucking loathe i hate the song i hate the song just as much i hate that fucking counting crows cover where they're like like that song makes me want to throw myself off a bridge no offense, that was insensitive, but it really does, it's like a song that really makes me want to curl up in a ball and scream. I fucking hate Steal My Sunshine. I hated it when I was out. It was everywhere. Yep. For whatever reason, people really latched onto it, and between the music video getting a ton of plays, which had a lot of like side swipes and like split screen, like the Brady Bunch, they, it, God, I fucking hated the song so much. So... Len is basically a huge, they are benefit, they benefit greatly from a right place, right time, yep. plus savvy PR. Because in my looking into Len, first of all, it was initially kind of difficult because they are not, a lot of their original work and blog posts and website stuff was all through MySpace. And so all those pages have been deleted since. Yeah. And so even their Wikipedia page is a little bit bare bones. It's not a ton to glean. And I mean, in their peak in 99, literally just that time, it wasn't like they did, like, a ton of interviews. No. Uh, they didn't really do much. All they did was release a follow-up album, which totally fucking bombed. And also, 
goes into why I hate them, like, is nonsensical English. What? It's like diaries of from the madman. Like, what? <laughs> Wasn't the song in the on the Go soundtrack as well? I'm pretty sure this, Probably. Uh, this song was on the Go soundtrack. So what I have uncovered is that Len is actually a brother-sister duo named Mark and Sharon Costanzo, which these fucking nerds, I swear to God, they're also from Toronto, Canada, which made it all finally click for me. I was like, okay, this like weirdly annoying upbeat song. They're so fucking cheery. They're a little bit corny. I like get like a weird flowers in the attic vibe from this. I guess now brother sister. I totally thought they were fucking married up until literally today. I was today years old when I discovered that Len was a brother sister <laughs> duo and not like a husband wife boyfriend girlfriend or honestly he was the le- I thought he was just the lead singer and she was just some fucking extra and that they like recorded her vocals like music fact cnc music factory style where it's just some random person and then you have like a model as the front right you know what i mean anyway this goddamn fucking song was off their stupid album can't stop the bum rush and from the jump it was difficult to discern who was even in this band especially when you look at from the album art to the music video because the music video is just them riding around on best buzz and when i rewatched it today i was like is this Venice? And I don't think it is. I think it's like Virginia Beach or something. It's, it's Myrtle. I'm pretty sure it's Daytona Beach. It's Daytona. It was it's like it's Florida. some it's some East Coast beach, but they're riding around on Vespas. Yeah. And as their day progressed, they accumulate more and more people. Like there's some fucking Hari Krishna I, cult. So I read that when they filmed this music video, they just had a budget and they blew through it by partying. Like that the the music video, if you watched it, was just like party central. Like okay, well thing. between the music video accumulating some random crowd, making it difficult to tell who the fuck is even in Spanish, yeah. this white guy with a weird Congo hat on who vaguely looks like he's Fred Durst's cousin, Canadian cousin. He now. really does. He really fucking does. And their album art, which was just, like, they looked like those cholo dolls that you used to get from the gumball machines. So they're animated in that way. So you're like, wait, so, like, so you didn't know if it was just, like, a random drawing, if this was a rendering based on the band. Do you remember that clip art in the late 90s or early 2000s you put on a Geocities page and it was, like, a sexy-looking girl doll thing? Maybe Where it had, like, a little bit of bling sparkle to it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you. And that's what their little album art looked like. Right. And so... I I feel like that was part of the reason why I found it difficult to connect or care about this band or the song. I mean, the song was so annoying and, like, everywhere all the fucking time. So that was a really difficult thing to also reconcile. But anyway, it would seem like the way that they marketed this, it would seem like the label's plan all along was to make this fucking one-hit wonder because they never really released any other supporting singles from this album. And what... (laughs) And the way that the song is structured, it really feels like the lyrics are obviously second to whatever is happening in the beat, which feels like it was just designed to stick in your ears and just always be stuck in your head all of the time. Um, Another thing that they did to try and capitalize on the popularity of the time was that there were a lot of like rap rock DJ groups. And so they added three quote unquote member. uh, They added three quote unquote members to Len. DJ Moves, D-Rock, which is obviously a fucking Beastie Boys ripoff, and Planet P, but it's completely unclear what they brought to the group, if anything. (laughs) My main gripe is with the lyrics, which are aggressively nonsensical, to the point where I felt like, yes, this, this must be an experiment. They must have been created in a lab that makes bands that just want to piss you off and play an annoying, shitty song that's just here to make money. So some of their lyrics, I know it's up for me that's not a complete thought what does that even fucking mean followed up by don't steal my sunshine i don't 
That doesn't mean anything. No. Not at all. The I will admit that the spelling later out was good, but my sticky paws were into making straws out of big, fat, slurpy treats. What the fuck is that? And why is that a viable lyric in a song? And then why did everybody sing this for so many years afterwards? Oh, God. An incredible eight-foot heap. Now the funny glare to pay a gleaming a gleaming tart in a streaming... Or, oh, my God. It's fucking rhinezone.com gone fucking crazy. I'm not reading any more of this bullshit lyrics. I hate this fucking band. Just know that it's not... A song that makes much sense and their chorus of I missed a mile million miles of fun I don't know what the fun was where it was how they missed it it's all unclear because also, fuck this fucking Canada song Canada uses the metric system so shouldn't it be a million and kilometers of fun you're right you're totally right um here are some facts can't stop the bum rush peaked at 46 on the billboard chart and went gold with 50,000 physical fucking copies sold because you had to listen to this one song by buying this entire stupid album and that's what they wanted all along this is my <laughs> this is my kennedy conspiracy theory oh my God. all of those copies are probably now floating around in some fucking second and third hand shops for a few bucks mark was the lead singer or i'm sorry let me take that back Mark was the guitarist in Sum, 40, Sum 41 when he wrote Steal My Sunshine. What? So fuck Sum 41. What? Yes. And here is the whole broken social scene connection that we were sort of talking about earlier. <laughs> Brendan Canning from Broken Social Scene was briefly in the band. And I believe yep. from what I've pieced together is that he is also partly responsible for this song. He and Mark were at some three-day rave together where... <laughs> Brendan was DJing and he played the disco song more, more, more at some point during this godforsaken three-day rave. And Mark was so into the piano break that he sampled it and that's how we have to steal my fucking sunshine. Fuck you, broken social scene, you fucking dicks. Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, that's my one-hit wonder. That's your one-hit wonder. Well, now we're going to move into hip-hop, which I had, um, I covered Vibrant Thing by Q-Tip, which... I love this song. It will still get me on a dance floor to this day. Um, it's from Q-Tip's debut solo album, uh, which was called Amplify. And of course, Hype Williams directed this music video, which is where this is where we start in our Hype Williams territory. Oh yes, because the next song is the music video is also directed by Hype Williams. We, in our quest to get you descriptions and information on all the songs that we're covering today found out that Hype Williams probably directed, I think, a solid third of the songs we're talking about today. That sounds about right, but I'm not great at math. I'm not <laughs> either, um, but it's, uh, it's of course, all the, like, Hype Williams um, signatures. So when you have the camera up front and someone is, like, going in, it's, like, a close-up where it kind of looks like the fisheye lens, but it's, like, a camera cheat. Oh, when someone is pulling focus. Right. Rack so, focus. So that's a huge part of Hype Williams. There's always, like, the background with, like, light bulbs or a weird tunnel. Um, the interesting thing about this music video, though, is it's in black and white, which I don't think, I can't think of any other Hype Williams music videos that are in black and white. I think the rest of them are color, for sure. I think you're right, because I was like, ooh, belly. Nope, that's no. all blue. Yeah, it's all blue. 
Yeah, this is, I mean, and those are, like, there's, like, the three-year period where it's, like, peak Hype Williams. It's, like, because Belly comes out in 98, I think, or maybe it is 99. I don't remember. It's around there. I don't but, remember either. But this is also around the time that I found this out during my research. Q-Tip was a member of the Pussy Posse, which we've talked about briefly in a few episodes. Um, Again, the people that are included in this group of friends are, of course, Leonardo DiCaprio as the leader, Tobey Maguire. As the leader? I mean, if one, that word is used so loosely in this term in this uh in this scheme um toby mcguire lucas haas harmony corinne kevin connelly and musician or magician david blaine who i get to talk about later uh when he dated with to- some really <laughs> tragic facial hair in that picture that you showed oh, me oh god like a pirate but like a late 90s coked out pirate um this song was also iconically used uh in a couple of mtv shows for sure i'm pretty sure i remember it showing up in daria and like a couple of other shows where they and like mtv undressed um it was also in the show pen 15 recently when the school dance episode um the song was produced and the album was actually produced by jay dilla um oh cool RIP. they're both the song and the music video and the album itself our big departure for Q-Tip, because I remember, like, of course, Q-Tip, as you all know, was in Tribe Called Quest, and uh, the sound and the look for Tribe Called Quest was very different from this Hype Williams-directed music video where they're, like, scantily clad women and, like, fancy cars, and it's just, like, a very different vibe from, like, what Tribe Called Quest pretty much did. But you can definitely hear, if you're listening to, like, The Love Movement, which was Tribe's last album before their initial breakup, um, they got back together, like, 15 years later after Spice Dog died uh, to release an album. R.I.P. R.I.P. Um, and uh, the love movement definitely has, like, some songs that kind of feed into that, like, Stressed Out has Faith Evans. Like, it just, there's a lot more of an R&B kind of vibe that's more alongside what you heard more mainstream music sounding like. Um, the other thing that comes to mind here, fun fact, was the fourth rap song to reach number one on the Billboard Hot R&B Airplay chart since its 1992 inception. Huh. Yeah, it's very specific. I feel like Billboard has since consolidated a Billboard's lot of their charts. Billboard's so different. I, so I have some Billboard chart stuff too, but I tried to keep it just to the Hot 100 because a lot of them like peaked on different ones. Right. But the one that still remains now, because I don't know. I mean, even with streaming too, it gets really in the minutia yeah. of Bill, like of uh, streaming and like record sales and listens and stuff. But yeah, I I don't know what that means, but it sounds impressive. Yeah. Um, so that's what I have to say about Vibrant Thing. Um, I was hoping for more facts, but I actually didn't find as much as I had hoped for. Q-Tip's a little private. He is. He is, for sure. I also didn't realize, I forget, like, he's 49, which is so crazy to me. Yeah. A lot of these artists, like, you're about to talk about Jay-Z, and he's 48, 49 as well, right? Or older. Or older, yeah. I wouldn't doubt. Yeah. But yes, Mr. Knowles, Mr. Beyonce Knowles. (laughs) <clears throat> I'm here to talk about Big Pimpin' today, excuse me, a legitimate hip-hop classic, uh, turned Jay-Z's personal You Gotta Fight for Your Right to Party because it's a song that took his career to the next level, but in retrospect, he regrets the lyrics. I don't know if he's stopped performing it since he came out and said that. He said that around 2010, which is around the time that I saw him, and he did play that song, but I could see why... He would stop playing it. He has other hits, but he he definitely has come out and talked about how he regrets the lyrics of the song. I don't think he played it. I saw him on the on, on the run tour with Beyonce, the first one, like five years ago, and I don't remember him playing it. I mean, I'm sure he has yeah. like a different set list when he tours with for sure Beyonce. But I, I, yeah, I don't know. It was at it was at Coachella. That's the last time I saw him, and that's when he played it. So any hoodle, uh, this song is one of those special songs that is a universal bop where people as soon as you put it on at a party everybody will start dancing or at the very least will at least start like moving along to it there it's just so catchy 
and that catchiness is really attributed to the Egyptian flute that is looped in the background that is, that frames the entire song that was created by Timberland, Timberland and Jay-Z. But this is also the notorious flute, flute loop. <laughs> That's not easy to say. Flute loop that uh, had the song embroiled in a years-long lawsuit with the original creator. So Jay-Z initially had found this song on some random Bollywood compilation, or belly dance, excuse me, compilation. Yeah. And so they used the flute, they looped it, and then years later, the people who were in charge of the estate of the original artist who created the, the uh, flute sample for them came and, like, sued them and then countersued them several times. Finally, in 2018, they settled and they ruled in Jay-Z's favor, so I think they got nothing, and it was sort of like a frivolous lawsuit, but the fl without the flute, there would be a completely different song. For sure. They actually feature the original song in the Hulu TV show Rami, which is about a guy whose family is Egyptian, he's American. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, the song also features UGK, which is like a Houston-based rap group featuring Bun B and mm. uh, Pimp C, which I didn't mean to rhyme those two. But I bring up Pimp C only because Pimp C hated this fucking track. He did not like the beat at all, so much so that he didn't come to the taping of the music video. He's not in the video at all, but <laughs> his bar is probably everybody everybody's favorite part yeah. of the rap. So, and also, speaking of the music video, another iconic piece of pop culture something that is the blueprint for a lot of opulent like rap music oh, videos yeah. it's it's the direct inspiration for lonely islands i'm on a boat oh mm -hmm. and this music video for big pimpin was directed by hype williams and it features jay-z and the members of ugk minus Pimpsy, but plus a two short in the background in some of the shots they're on a yacht with a bunch of like hot bitches on their way to trinidad to go to carnival and it's just them partying and smoking cigars and it's jay-z in a fucking bucket hat like dancing on like the roof of like this dope ass yacht like a nicer yacht than the one that's on below deck med slash below deck regular of bravo <laughs> and it just looked like a party that everybody wanted to be a part of and i really do think this is a song that was already very catchy and that people really wanted to like to begin with because it was i wouldn't say the beginning of jay-z's career i think it's like sort of the middle beginning of it yeah but it's one of his more mainstream songs that sort of took off and it i feel like the music video really sort of supported like the fantasy that the song paints in a very perfect word picture and on the stat side this is the third single weirdly enough off of the volume three life and times of s carter and it's the most successful one it peaked at number 18 on the Billboard Hot 100, but it also, like, topped a bunch of other niche charts in relation to, like, rap and hip-hop. Um, it is also on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time, as it rightly should be. Mm -hmm. It's obviously, like, a karaoke staple. Mm -hmm. You hear the shit all the time. It constantly still gets played. It really holds up. I really love Big Pimpin'. I can listen to it all the time. It never gets old for me. Great song. Peak Jay-Z. I don't have any other interesting facts. I, I just thought... The thing that I didn't really realize or hadn't heard yet was that Jay-Z regrets the song. Yeah. Not to bring it up one last time, but I didn't, I had no idea. I thought that he would be happy with a song that was probably fairly successful for him. It's funny that he regrets it, but it's one of those songs that put him in the mainstream map. Like, definitely people knew him before because of Hard Knock Life and, like, um, Bounce With Me and, like, others, or Can I Get a What? Like, people knew him for other songs, but that was one of the ones that I feel like really put him on the map and, like, put... Things like Pimpin' and Big Pimpin' and, like, the lexicon culturally for old white people. <laughs> <laughs> or just for white people. For white people. Full stop. Yeah. yeah I, I, I think this song has 
like just incredible lasting power even though he the lyrics are problematic i think it just is one of those songs that gets a pass yeah um to go to a completely different direction from here an aggressive swerve we are going into our uh kind of feminist idols uh indie singers that uh we both picked indie rock queens yeah indie rock queens um mine was paper bag by fiona apple um we are both huge fiona apple fans uh this song is the second single from when the pawn I'm not going to read the whole album title. Jesus Christ, no, it's fine. But it does hold the record in Guinness Book of World Records for the longest album title ever. Oh, that's fine. Way to go, Fiona. Because when people are like, oh, like, what's your favorite kind of poetry? And I was like, Fiona Album's album. (laughs) (laughs) Fiona Fiona Apple's album, When the Pawn, and all the other words that follow that make it a poem. It's not Jules' book of poetry. I also have that book as well, and I do like some of her poems. A Night Without Armor. (laughs) (laughs) But to be fair, I'm an idiot, and I also don't really like poetry that much. <laughs> um, so this was the second single after um, Fast As You Can, but before Limp. Um, this was my gateway into Fiona Apple. Like, I had known of, of tit- the album title, but didn't really know it that that well, just because I was, like, at probably eight or nine when it was released. Oh, really? You didn't ever get into Criminal at Later all? I did, but, <sighs> like, it was, my gateway was actually the one, when the Pawn album. Um, I, sorry, I have to say, a quick detour, my Fiona Apple in was, before I even heard any of her music, I saw her acceptance speech, oh, I believe, yeah. at the 99 VMAs. Or it's, like, 97, probably, because that's from title. It was, like, yeah. A, yeah. Or 90 eight because like they always do them like the year after you're right, been you're recorded. Right, you're right. but either way when i saw her in that i like circled back around and got into criminal even though it was like way too old and mature for me i was not ready for that but that i that was like one of the first albums that i bought oh yeah like that and like weezer's blue album i definitely yeah i bought those uh maybe like two years later but i had i bought one the pawn um it was for me what stands out is in a sea of like this was people hitting all crazy high notes and like singing as like belty as you can fiona has a really low alto voice and it was the first time i'd heard that on the radio really or memorably can think of that right because um, you had like peak whitney peak whitney houston yes, you had christina aguilera you yeah. had mariah so it was a lot of belters right and she was literally and figuratively the alternative very like smoke smoky low alto voice yes um, she is someone i adore and absolutely idolize singing wise um Falling in love, I fell in love with this album. I later bought Tidal, and that's when it was like game over for me. Just became like the biggest fan. The music video uh, was directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. This is right around when Boogie Nights came out. <laughs> Future ex-boyfriend Paul uh, Thomas yeah, Anderson. They were dating at the time when she, when he filmed this. Um, I the music video for me is really cool. Like it's um it's interesting. It's like Fiona Apple dressed in like 40s garb, and then a bunch of little boys wearing like 40 1940s ish um, suits. <laughs> I feel like you described it perfectly. You're like, they casted all of the kids that were currently on Broadway. Pretty much. That's how I felt. Like, I just remember, I looked this up. Newsies, the movie came out in, like, 92. And then Newsies, the musical, came out in, like, 2014. It was, like, during this 25-year gap. They needed to cast a bunch of 10-year-old boys somewhere. And thank God for Paul Thomas Anderson and Fiona (laughs) Apple. Because they cast them all in this movie. They all did these great dance routines. Um, The other uh, thing is that she wrote Paper Bag following an experience, this is from Wikipedia, in which she mistook a plastic bag for a dove, which is literally a plot point in the movie American Beauty, and is also featured in the song Firework, Katy Perry. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind? Anyway, I don't remember the I'm not as familiar with Firework, except for what James Franco says in the Seth Rogen (laughs) movie. The interview with Kim Jong-un. 
What a time. Um, anyway, so... But that's hilarious, and I had no idea that was the backstory. I didn't either, um, but apparently, yeah, our dad was driving her in a car in L.A. somewhere, and uh, she saw this. She thought it was a bird, but it was just a paper bag, as the lyrics state. Um, and uh, that's what I kind of have to say about paper bag. The other thing that I really love are the really lush um, horn arrangements in the song. I think it's a really beautiful song. It's definitely like Fiona will sometimes show up with a jazzy song, especially with her vocals here and there. But like this is really one for me that stands out. And it's kind of funny because it was released shortly after Pleasantville came out, which she had two songs on that soundtrack, the cover of Across the Universe by the Beatles and um, also another like she sings a cover of a standard called uh, Please Send Me Someone to Love, uh, which is like an old song. But very similar arrangements, very lush and horn heavy. And also just the theme of the music videos seem to borrow heavily from yes, Pleasant Hill in a weird way. Yeah. I would also say if you are a Fiona Apple fan, you should listen to her interview with Mark Maron because it's really good. That's probably one of my favorite interviews of hers. Uh, my feminist icon, pop punk legend, Kathleen Hanna. Uh, this is Hot Topic with by La Tigra. Mm. Kathleen Hanna formed La Tigra after Bikini Kill ended with Reject All American with her former roommates. Well, one of them, uh, Kathleen used to live with Joanna Fateman, mm -hmm. and, but they were both her former bandmates with Sadie Benning when they were in Troublemaker. Uh, okay. Joanna F Fateman is a zine writer and Sadie Benning is a filmmaker. She also directed a music video for Kathleen Hanna's solo project, solo side project, excuse me, Julie Ruin, which is now a full-fledged band, but you can trace it back to 1997 when she had first started as like a, she had envisioned it as a solo project. And they initially, the three of them came together because they were going to be sort of like background supporting vocals for Julie Ruin, but then they just had so much fun playing together, they formed La Tigra. Sorry, and, were you going to say something? Oh, this is before J.D. Sampson was in the band, right? Yes. Sadie will eventually leave after their debut album comes out, their mm -hmm. self-titled comes out, and then she'll be replaced with J.D. Sampson, who had started as a roadie for them. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Which is really fun. And then uh, J.D. Sampson went on to do Men with Joanna Fateman, I'm pretty sure, too. Yes, and yeah. someone else. I don't remember who. I just remember There's reading a, a, Oh, is a, it Beth Dito from The Gossip? Maybe. I'd have to look that up. That was a great show, by the way. I saw The Gossip years ago. I've heard nothing but good things about Beth Dito as a lead singer, especially for The Gossip, or even just for her. She had, like, a solo tour a couple years ago. I met her because it was really early on in their career, and she was so, so sweet, and I think she signed something my friend and I had. Yeah. So, what a class act. Yeah. Uh, I think, again, to reference the inspiration for this episode, Rob Sheffield, I believe he put Hot Topic Best where he called it a Riot Girl summer party because that's really what it felt like. Even though it's not, the song Hot Topic is not as popular as the other songs, as well, just honestly, Decepticon, which yeah. completely took off and has been remixed to the ends of the earth by more popular bands and traded among DJs. And that's kind of initially how I came to La Tigra was at like an indie club and it was a remix of Decepticon because mm. I had already I had always been a Bikini Kill fan but I didn't know about La Tigra until later which I never understood how that happened to me but whatever anyway uh, obviously the most iconic part of Hot Topic is them doing the roll call of like progressive feminist activists like Gertrude Stein Angela, Angela Davis, Davis. Billie Jean King, Ann Peebles. It, La Tigra completely falls in line and especially Hot Topic with Kathleen Hanna's themes of being political in her art and in her message. But this was the first time that we heard kind of a more upbeat, pop punk, new wave kind of sound from her because before it was all just Bikini Kill and that was all just like really hardcore punk rock. I love the connection because so Ann Peebles wrote the song I Can't Stand the Rain and sang that and that later our girl Missy sampled it in The Rain Super Duper Fly. So I just had to bring that up. 
and Missy's Hot Boys remix is on our honorable mentions shortlist. But yeah, there's not really much else to say about La Tigra and Hot Topic. Their album, La Tigra, was really critically received very well, and I think people really love Decepticon, and they love this album, and This Island comes after it, I believe, Mm -hmm. and that's a really popular album as well, and they went on to do good stuff, and then they all split up, and Kathleen went on to do more Julie Ruin stuff. J.D. Samson and Joanna Fateman went and did Men, and then just this year, Bikini Kill reunited, and I got to see them, and that was amazing and i am forever jealous all right who's your pop punk well that's not pop punk i would just say like poppy band rock thing yeah pop rock yeah i would say that that was a long way to get to that one i did uh why don't you get a job by the offspring oh man the laughs i had watching that music video we enjoyed it thoroughly um so this is off their album americana which was such a huge hit it included Pretty Fly for a White Guy and The Kids Aren't Alright. Um, I was never a diehard Offspring fan, full disclosure, but I know every word to this song because it is a karaoke gem. I can co-sign that because she was singing along to the fucking music video. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's basically Obla Di, Obla Da for our generation. And look, and here is down to the fact that they, they pointed this out in the Wikipedia article and very other, like, other people have wrote articles about this song. It has the same chord progression. It follows the same chord. No, it's like essentially yeah. a cover or a parody. Of, of it, yes. I mean, I won't pay, I won't pay, oh, oh, Like, anyway, anyway, I won't go into singing all of this, but it is... If you know, you know, and you, you know. all probably know. You probably all know. So, while I researched this song, I found out the music video was, of course, directed by Mick G, because on this list, if not directed by Hype Williams, there is a 65% chance it was directed <laughs> by Mick G. You're just, like, making up these numbers now. Guys, I am a statistician. Do not hate do, on my Do numbers. not come for me and my mentions about my stats. And you know how some people are armchair psychologists? I'm an armchair statistician, and I will... <laughs> I guess if you just like put it on a business card, everyone's forced to recognize that as a thing you're doing. I'm looking at Moo.com right now for oh, discounts. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay, so you <laughs> so, take your certified stats with you. Yep. This has been, um, so obviously, McGee, big director, and a lot of the songs we're going to cover today, almost all our music videos um, with McGee have this very like iconic themes of like very, to put it best, because the Offsprings album was called Americana. A lot of Americana tie into it, very kitsch, campy, super, 50s, super campy. 60s, like you have a lot of babes in these music videos that are dressed. It like, does feel like really heavily hairspray inspired yeah. in some ways. Yeah, like John know? Waters, but super exaggerated, big bouffants, like women in um like leopard print yeah. pieces with like big yeah. beehives, like and like really icon. Well. Rockabilly, like... Uh, rockabilly, well, there was that time in 99 where it was... Rockabilly made some sort of weird comeback. Rockabilly swing thanks to Gap commercials. <laughs> and thanks to Brian Setzer Orchestra. Yeah, the Zoot Suit Riot. The Cherry Poppin' Daddies. Cherry fucking Poppin' Daddies. Jesus Christ. Um, God, what else? There is... Voodoo Glow Skulls. My We're favorite... We're talking about the Big Bad. <laughs> my favorite story to tell is when my friends and I went and saw Social D, but Voodoo Glow Skulls was <laughs> opening for them. And there are a bunch of greasers... And my friend's brother, when we were, like, walking through the crowd to try and find a good spot, like, six greasers walk by him, and he looks at us, and he turns around, he's like, hey, Sandy! At them, as they walk by, we're like, oh my god, we're gonna get our fucking asses kicked here. 
tying this back in those McG videos, even the band members are wearing kind of like rockabilly type shirts. Like the, a lot of the band, all of them yeah. are wearing fucking Charlie Sheen bowling like, shirts. Exactly, exactly. And um, and so in this music video, the setting for it is actually um, called, it's called Colonial Street, and it was a set that was used as Wisteria Lane in Desperate Housewives and the courthouse square that is used in the Back to the Future trilogy. So in certain points, you'll see. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A clock tower in the back, and that is the clock tower from Back to the Future. The music video also features one of the Pussycat Dolls, not Nicole Scherzinger. Um, I forget her name, um, but she is like the girl at the end when she's, the, they're like, my friend's got a girlfriend and she, or boyfriend, and she hates that dick. She's the girlfriend. The She's girl. the one that like rips off her robe and, and her hair and bonnet and her, becomes like a sexy American flag or while something. While making her deadbeat boyfriend throw up. Like it was He weird. also poured mustard on himself. Honest, the whole like, direction yeah. of that McG was questionable. Very questionable. Um, the also other people who make appearances, uh, Bob Eubanks from the Newlyweds game from the 70s. He's a game show host. Um, and the actor who was in the Pretty Fly for a White Guy music video makes an appearance at the end. Anyway, this What's music- that guy doing? <laughs> Do you think he wrote his college essay about how he was the pretty white, pretty fly for a white guy kid? And when he went to the tattoo parlor and he asked for a 14, but they drew a 49. Please stop. I'll stop. <laughs> anyway, the song still is fun to sing at a karaoke bar. I don't think I'd go and listen to it all the time, but I will definitely, next time I go out for karaoke and have a few drinks in me, will jam out to this. I hope we don't. <laughs> you won't be there. <laughs> I will RSVP no. <laughs> so the Facebook event. Go see Emily before. Why don't you get a job by the offspring? I'm going to RSVP no. My pop rock song is Every Morning by Sugar Ray. Because oh, who would have thought the band to age the best in the last 20 years would be Sugar Ray? Obviously, that's very debatable. But I feel like for whatever reason, Mark McGrath remains an unproblematic prince. In all of our, he's like the Keanu of shitty late '90s, early 2000s. I'm, I'm so worried that you, because you put that out there, tomorrow, the New York Times is gonna break a story on like some garbage, how much of a garbage human Mark. My God, God please really don't is. do that. I want him to remain pristine <laughs> in my mind. But along with Everclear, so much for the afterglow. I will defend Sugar Ray's 1459, which isn't a really great title. They were so in on the joke, and I think that. Them being in on the joke, yes. them honestly looking like they were having the best time, like they knew at yeah. any moment this was all going to get taken away, but they were having a great time regardless, is why 
They're just fun. It's just stupid fun, and this song is still super fucking catchy. I Will Die on the Hill, but Every Morning is a good song. It is. It's not a guilty pleasure. It's a good song. It still holds up. There's nothing wrong with it. It's like a good lazy song to have in the background. It's a good roller rink song that you wouldn't mind hearing, which is a wonderful segue because their whole music video, first of all, is directed by McG. Of course. But second of all, it takes place in a roller rink. And for whatever reason, watching the music video back reminded me of another quote, another quote from Rob Sheffield describing how Sugar Ray... When they were on the cover of Rolling Stones, Rolling Stone, they showed up for the shoot, and Mark was super hungover, and his PR handler person kept trying to convince him to keep his shirt on, but he didn't keep his shirt on, because <laughs> he was just partying all the time, as he should have, because yeah. it was never going to last forever. He knew. And so I'm glad that knew. Sugar Ray made money, and I'm glad they were able to capitalize on their 1459 of fame. And that Mark McGrath doesn't need to unfrost his tips anymore because frosted tips have come all the way back around in 20 years. Mark McGrath did really well for himself after Sugar Ray. I think they're still a band. Well, he was like an e-correspondent. Yeah. And didn't Sugar Ray like go on some county fair Probably. tour, reunion tour? Not to mention, when celeb- Celebrity Jeopardy was still a thing, or Rock and Roll Jeopardy on VH1, <laughs> he won all the goddamn time. It was always Mark McGrath that won. So That's so wild. He could be on this podcast and he would shell out some good pop culture knowledge. I'm sure. I am sure of it because he also was always game for those VH1. Yep. Remember the 90s? Yep. And he was always really funny and personable. Like I said just a second ago, he was like an E or Access Hollywood correspondent for a long time. Right. He's sort of like Carson Daly where you're like, good for you, Mark McGrath. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. And good for Sugar Ray. As you so rightfully pointed out, he comes out in the um, Every Morning music video at the end with a French flag guitar. <laughs> because the American flag colors are all fucked up. Um, Beyond This Just Being a Good Song, of which I will constantly defend, this was also their most successful single. It was number three on the Billboard Hot 100, which is crazy. And it was the country's second best-selling single that year. What? I know. What? I don't know what number one was because I was so caught off guard by it being number two. But I was like, holy shit, what? And that's all I got for Sugar Ray's Every Morning. All right. When I wake up, we there's a halo. Hanging from my girlfriend's four post bed. All right. So now we go into grab bag, I guess. Well, we, we both picked songs. Per, our number fives are very different songs. I would say personal pick. Personal pick. Mine was Praise You by Fatboy Slim. I picked this song for a couple reasons. One, the iconic music video needs to be talked about. Spike's, Spike Jones directed it, and Spike Jones, to remind you of what he has directed outside of his movies, the Buddy Holly music video... Um, I think he did a couple of other Weezer ones. Uh, sabotage. Sabotage, yes. Beastie Boys. Um, I'm not, I can't, I'm blanking right now. I'm sure I'll re- remember one later and I'll shout it out. But Spike Jones directed this iconic gorilla style music video that was shot on a personal it was, camcorder. It was honestly truly performance art. And Roman Coppola also co-directed it. So I think this is before he and Sofia Coppola broke up. Um, uh, or maybe they remained friends. What? Roman Coppola. Her brother? Yes. But Sofia Coppola and Roman Coppola could never have dated because they're brother N- No, I'm saying, no, no, no. What I'm saying is that Sofia Coppola and Spike Jones oh. were together. Oh, I see Spike, what you mean. And Roman Coppola, I think, Yes, also this is before the whole Cameron Diaz thing. Yes, yes. In Lost in Translation. Yes. yes. I follow you now, but the Thanks. way that you worded it initially, I was very confused. Apologize. To confirm. <laughs> Sofia Coppola and Spike Jones dated. To go back over your order, this is what happened. 
Sophia Coppola and Spike Jones dated. Spike Jones co-directed this music video with Roman Coppola. And then later, Sophia Coppola and Spike Jones broke up because he cheated on her with Cameron Diaz, which you can see in the movie Lost in Translation, in which the Cameron Diaz character is played by Anna Ferris. And Roman Coppola and Spike Jones haven't worked together since. I do not think so. Okay. I would hope not. Um, so... This gem is amazing. It's shot gorilla style with like a personal camcorder at a w movie theater in Westwood. As Margo and I were re-watching this music video, we noticed two movies were playing at the time, Practical Magic and Pleasantville. People were in line while they were watching this performance art dance piece happen, and they were going to go watch Practical Magic. The fictional dance troupe featured in this music video is the Torrance Community Dance Group, um, the dance routine is led by their leader, who uh, is actually Spike Jones in a iconic glass tight polo shirt jean combo, which the glasses he ha is wearing have croquis or glass holders, whatever you want to call them. Um, the music, the dance is, of course, ridiculous and wonderful at the same time. I myself can probably do about 40% of that routine by heart. More stats. And More a, unfounded stats. I'm gonna need I'm gonna need links to all of these numbers, M. Oh god, I'm gonna spend tonight doing all the math. Uh, in a world where Beyonce dance routines are what people want to learn during their workout classes, as I once tweeted, where is the praise you dance class? Why can't I sign up for that at my local gym? Can you please talk to your friends? own a dance studio? Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean you want me to talk to Hipline? You need a Hipline, yes. About possibly doing a Praise You dance you, series? Okay, it's a I good can work out. I can I will talk to you some more. I will ask her. Um the I'll other, have to probably show her this music video because I'm sure she will not know what I'm talking about. No. Um the other final thing I want to point out of this song, uh, other than it's featured in the movie Cruel Intentions, which oh, uh, yeah. a couple of my the songs on this list were as well. And uh the guitar riff at the beginning so Fatboy Slim samples uh, a bunch of different songs in this, but the one that I want to point out, the guitar riff, is from a record that Disney released in the 70s called Mickey Mouse Disco. They released, to capitalize on the disco trend of the 70s, Disney released of course they a did. disco record, and they were all disco covers of their famous Disney classics, and is the guitar riff from the disco version of It's a Small World After All. <laughs> wow. Which you can hear on Spotify. Oh, that's a whole lot of information to process. Yes. I also just love this entire fake dance troops outfit scheme. It's oh, all yeah. 80s tearaway pants and oversized shirts. And as you said, I want to wear are they now of everyone in this dance troupe. I think the old gentleman is probably no longer with us. <laughs> There's a lot of age diversity in this crew, and I appreciate Spike Jones took the time to cast <laughs> that way. I forgot how funny that music video really was and how ahead of its time it was. It, it is so fucking funny. Yeah. And Spike Jones is just so weird. What a, that was strange. What a strange little man. Mm -hmm. Well, my pick features, well, I guess Jonathan Davis is kind of a strange little man in his own right. <laughs> what a flaring man. Freak on a Leash by Korn. This is new metal genre. At least I put it in there, but you could say it's a grab bag. Their music video was not shot gorilla style. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. I have a lot of personal effect. I, there are a couple bands on here. And I think the next one is probably like a personal affection ba band too, but I have a lot of affection for Korn. I really loved them in middle school. <laughs> I don't know why I was so mad, but they, for whatever reason, were the soundtrack to my middle school angst. Freak on a Leash in particular, I have some like funny memories associated with them. So under the banner personal pits, I'm going to rattle off a few. 
My husband refers to this music video as the one where Jonathan Davis yells at a bullet. <laughs> which is very, I mean, there are no, no lies detected in no, that no. review of Freak on a Leash. My best friend, who is also a corn super fan, um, so much so that in our eighth grade graduation pictures, she iconically wore a corn shirt. She likes to trot that out every once in a while and That's like post beautiful. it. It's so fucking funny. She this year went on a mission which no one asked her to go on. Um, she wanted to have the response meme to Justin Timberlake's meme of "It's gonna be May," you know, that everybody posts on May first, yeah, or May or April thirtieth or whatever. She wanted to have the definitive end of May going into June meme where it was Jonathan Davis. <laughs> where, where it's Jonathan Davis saying following. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry to out you this way, Marianne. <clears throat> where it's Jonathan Davis saying falling away from May. <laughs> she, she really, 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 really wanted that to be the definitive <laughs> response meme to the Justin Timberlake. It's gonna be May. And honestly, she's on to something because this music video spent 10 consecutive days at number one on TRL and it was like a fuck you to sync fans. <laughs> so maybe she's on to something. She's on to something, that's all I'm saying. What music video will take down? I forget, I don't know. I, I didn't look that up, but that's like one of its claims to fame. And also, the same best friend. She and I, for the longest time, were convinced that in the scatting portion, Jonathan Davis says, dog email. <laughs> dog email. We were like, yeah, definitely, he's scatting. We're like, what's a scat if you don't say something weird? Like, dog email. <laughs> I played Guitar Hero one time with uh, a friend of mine, um, who uh, he has since passed away, unfortunately. But we were playing Guitar Hero. It was about ten years ago, and we were uh, we were doing Freak on a Leash. And I proceeded to try to do the scat part. He's like, no, 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 and proceeds <laughs> to do it perfectly, like That's with terrifying. the right intonation and everything. And I was just, I was in awe. So that was that was something that I I treasure as, as one of the memories I, I shared with him. Um, sorry to bring it down. Oh no, it's fine. <laughs> Freak on a like... Leash was an angsty, angsty twelve-year-olds rise up. This right. was our call to arms. Yeah. And so if this song hit you at the right time, you would know things like that, like how to correctly scat along with Jonathan Davis. Incredible. This band and this song in particular, I hold personally responsible for things like Hot Topic. Just yeah. so we all are on the same page. This is the second single off of Follow the Leader and is one of Korn's more successful singles. It reached 89 on the Billboard Hot 100 and was even more popular for whatever reason in Australia, going gold there. The music video definitely aided its popularity. It was directed and animated by Todd McFarlane, who is best known for drawing issues of Spider-Man and Spawn, and drew the opening where the kids are playing hopscotch at the edge of a cliff and then a cop comes out and accidentally shoots somebody almost. And uh, also, that was based off of their cover art, and so it should be noted that the album did come out in late 1998. And this music video came out in February of 99. So this was all pre-Columbine. Because I believe after that happened, they had alternate album art that wasn't as like violent or ominous. Kind of yeah. the way that, at least from what I remember this being a big deal, when the Distillers released Coral Fang, they had like someone being crucified on their album art cover. And so they had an alternate one made because some record stores wouldn't carry it, which yeah. I'm assuming is, like, the warehouse and, like, Sam Goody and stuff. And, like, Walmart. Yeah, because you yeah. could definitely find it at, like, indie 
right record right. stores you could buy like right. the original ar- album art but you couldn't shout out to penny lane and burbank right but you couldn't get it at like a, a warehouse no as i said or F- fye uh the song has been re-released 10 times in the uk but was released o- re-released only once in the u.s in 99 after radio stations started to refuse to play it because they had a noisy, con- like, crunchy guitar break oh, that went yeah. on for a long time, and it just, like, wasn't sitting well with people, and so they pulled their fans. They're like, oh, would you guys like the song more if it didn't have this noisy guitar break? So they took it out and then re-released it. It spent 10 consecutive days at number one on TRL until it was retired. The music video itself won a Grammy, and it was the eighth most infringed song in 99, which means it was illegally downloaded yeah. a whole bunch. <clears throat> So the music video also, like, won a bunch of MTV Music Video Awards, and this was also sort of, like, the beginning of Jonathan Davies sort of, like, doing, like, gender-bendy shit with, like, his kill and, like, wearing nail polish and doing eye makeup, and he was really out one of like the first artists i remember but that wasn't like madonna or something but like an alternate alternative artist who was sort of was very supportive of like the gay community he's like it doesn't it's not weird to be gay and i can be a dude and be a straight dude or a gay dude or whatever and paint my nails it doesn't fucking matter and i remember that really kind of resonating with me and that's kind of why i was a little bit of a corn freak (laughs) this is also the same best friend we also had discussed at length in the seventh grade about getting corn tattoos matching ones when we got older we ended up getting matching we have matching tattoos now but it's not of corn (laughs) although i wouldn't put it past her for getting a corn tattoo at some point in the near future (laughs) what's your next pick so mine is a Britpop classic coffee and tv by blur I've always loved Blur because I'm a big Britpop person. Um, I really think this song is pretty important just because it's kind of like the bookend to the reign of Britpop, which was a much bigger thing in the UK, obviously, than it was in the US. I think it was, you know, it made its mark here like with Oasis um, and Blur, but I don't think it was to the same extent as it was obviously in the UK and in other countries for that matter. Um, Other European countries. Other European countries, probably Australia and like just other places. Um, But this song is like really kind of the the bookend to that golden age of Britpop. Um, it's also the song that's playing when Sarah Michelle Gellar and Summer Blair make out in Cruel Intentions. Oh, yeah, I realized that. Yeah, I, I was surprised I had two songs that on my list that were from Cruel Intentions. And Colorblind is on that whole list. If you look at the '99 songs, like Colorblind by Counting Crows is on it. Um, I think there were a couple others from that Cruel Intentions soundtrack, but that's um, another reason why it's pretty iconic. Um, the song is sung actually by Graham Coxon, who is the band's guitarist, versus Damon Albarn, who uh, was the lead sing- is the lead singer of Blur, or was, um, and also is, of course, the singer in The Gorillas, um, as many of you know. Um, it talks about Coxon's struggle with alcoholism, and coffee and TV was kind of his refuge. Um, <clears throat> the song and the album itself, 13, were produced by William Orbit. Um, William Orbit, of course, a known name in the late... To mid to late 90s and early 2000s because basically is responsible for all of Madonna's career from like 96 to about 2005 he produced Ray of Light he produced music he produced Beautiful Stranger the song that's on this uh, 99 songs list as well um, he also went on to um, <clears throat> produce the Charlie's Angel soundtrack oh, Mick wow. G connection right there god damn it and was a producer he's, a, he's inescapable at he, this point he really is and was a producer on Ricky Martin's self-titled album, which is on Livin' La Vida Loca's on this list, and uh, No Doubt's Rocksteady, which comes out a few years later. Um, the music di- video was directed by Hammer and Tongs, who also directed uh, Fatboy Slim's music video for Right Here, Right Now, and uh, Beck's music video for Hell Yes. And the music video, if any of you have ever seen it, is a very strange little music video. It has a sentient CGI milk carton character named oh, Milky, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. and he has a picture of a missing person who is, in fact, the guitarist Graham Coxon on there. 
and it's he's on a quest to like go through the streets of London to try to find um, Graham Coxon and bring him back home to where his parents live. And that is kind of most of what I have to say about Coffee and Tiki because it wasn't a big hit in the U.S. Really, it was a much bigger hit in the uh, U.K. But I really like the song. This might be the shortest description I have, but. To save time, I'm okay with that. I am also about to dive into something that has a very short description. It's Astro by White Stripes, another band that I have a great affection for, which is Mm -hmm. why I wanted to talk about it, because this song is not popular or didn't chart by any means. It's a part of their beginning, which I think is why it's so significant. This song really was the beginning of it all, and it's not necessarily what turned people into White Stripes fans, it, it fell in love with a girl is definitely what did that. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely a song where you could see where they were headed. I think that it's more of like a declarative statement of what the White Stripes are going to give you as a band going forward. It was sort of the beginning of their, well, it wasn't sort of, it was the beginning of their red and white outfits. They're like DIY, Detroit garage, fuzz rock sound, and the speculation of, are they brother and sister? When in reality, they were just formally married instead. Yeah. Turns out it was the latter. If you want to watch a really good documentary that kind of delves into their relationship around that time, under great white northern lights is a wonderful way to get to know, see like what their relationship was like or hear about what their relationship was like in the beginning and how it fell apart and why the white chips aren't together now anymore. And you really get a good look at Meg's anxiety, which eventually drove the band to break up, which is really unfortunate. But to me, this is, for me personally, this song is really significant because it marks that I have been listening to Jack White music since, for 20 years now. I just saw the Tours on Wednesday. I've seen every single one of his bands at least once, and he still continues to put out really good rock music and has a record label it's crazy to think that this is the beginning you would never have guessed that that's where it would have ended up yeah and that like this would be the man that would eventually produce most of loretta lynn's like later work and like and margot price margot price like it's just very interesting i think that's what i appreciate the most out of jack white um is just really his versatility and being able to evolve and and every single one of his as somebody who's seen all of his bands every single one has a very distinct and different sound the you the overarching denominator obviously is Jack White. He has a hand in things, but I personally really like him as a drummer on Dead Weather the most, mm. but to tie it all back to Astro, it was probably one of the first times that I saw a woman drummer, and that yeah. was really inspiring because I've always loved the drums, and she was, when she finally blew up, it was like a mainstream thing to see female drummers, and it was kind of huge. Because literally, before her, I think it's like Karen Carpenter is really uh, There was like a handful, a barely. Handful, yeah, but not that many. Alright, Emily, take us home uh, with our top seven. Sure. Uh, we both did R&B class um, I chose Heartbreak Hotel by Whitney Houston featuring Faith Evans and Kelly Price. Okay, so I had no idea about this, but apparently this song was originally intended to be on TS- TLC's album, Fan Mail. That's amazing because my pick also was supposed to be on Fan Mail. Really? Yes. Wow! That's crazy. Okay, so they said no to it, and so it went to Whitney Houston, which is uh, sucks for TLC because it became this huge hit. It's, it's also a great fucking song. It's a great song. I mean, you hear it, and the, this is a heartbreak hotel. This and this music not, video is oh, so amazing. So, so many fur coats. Yes. And the flip-flops. Looks, looks are iconic. First of all, she's on a beach in Miami wearing a fur coat. Who does that? Whitney, of course, because Whitney Houston at this point is swimming in royalties from the Bodyguard soundtrack, so God bless her for that. She's later singing on an ottoman in a hotel room, wearing this fur coat and Javiana flip-flops, which is an iconic look, 
that really no one else, I think, could pull off except for Miss Whitney Houston. Um, she, I really need to look up some, like, Heartbreak Hotel cosplay immediately. I will do that <laughs> as well. She also wears, in this music video, one of her signature silk gowns with a matching choker, oh which she frequently wore during those, My so when My Love Is Your Love, which is the album that this song is on, um, in a lot of those music videos, I do remember her wearing that, and also a lot of her live performances, like VH1 Divas, and like some of those other things. This was her statement necklace right. era. And it looked, as you said perfectly, it looked like the choker necklace was attached to the gown, because they often match um and she is wearing on the album cover a sweater dress and leather gloves because why not whatever she's Whitney Houston I'm a rich bitch exactly. or as Nene Leakes perfectly put it I am very rich bitch yes I love Whitney's willingness to experience experiment with these style choices I miss her very much of course um, the song was produced by the duo Soul Shock and Carlin, which is who are oh. yeah Danish R and B duo uh, that also produced among a song, many songs, so some Tony Braxton songs that um, and a few um, Usher songs. They also produced JoJo's Leave Get Out. That's such a great song. I love that song. That and Too Little Too Late are still great songs. Leave Get Out. Leave right now. <laughs> um, the song. The single sold over 1 million, 1.3 million copies in the U.S. alone, making it the country's third best-selling single of 1999. And this song spent two weeks at number two behind the juggernaut that was Believe by Cher. Cher, that Holy song came shit. out in 98, but it kept a lot of songs on this, on these lists, on this list, off of number one because it continued was so crazy to 99. Successful. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. But that's what I have to say about this song. I still love it. While we're watching the music video, we had a great time. Okay, there are lots of overarching themes that connect Heartbreak Hotel to Where My Girl's At by 702. Um, first of all, this was rejected for fan mail. This also shares a bit of... So the video, the music video director also directed music videos for Usher. Mm. As you had mentioned, yeah. Heartbreak Hotel is tangentially related. But Where My Girl's At is still a certified fucking bop. I'm here to tell you that. Such a great song. The song is on a workout playlist of mine. Every time it comes... I've sang this at karaoke. Every time it comes on, you can't help but throw your one hand up. Yep. Can you repeat that, please? This trio is two sisters plus one. 702 is named after the Vegas area code. But something I did not know, Vegas is also where they got discovered by the comedian Sinbad when what? he heard them harmonize in Caesar's Palace. What? I know. They broke out with this single produced by Missy Elliott. It was originally meant for TLC's fan, ma fan mail album, but they rejected it, and so it became 702's signature track, going gold and hitting number four on the Billboard Hot 100 and staying in the top 20 for 30 fucking weeks. What? Yes. It is some old town road shit up in here. <laughs> Their music video was directed apparently by a very prolific 90s music video director, Billy Woodruff. He's also directed Usher's You Make Me Wanna, Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On, Nelly's It's Hot in Here. Honestly, so much more. Just look him up on IMDb. He has wow. a shitload of credits. He's also directed a couple episodes of Claws, which makes perfect sense. I gotta watch that show. So good. Highly recommend. Such a great fucking nighttime soap drama. It's amazing. And Niecy Nash looks and is incredible in it. It's just really funny and super strange. I, I and Dean from Breaking Bad is a great villain turned mm. not as villainous anymore. Everyone's great. Can't recommend Claws enough. It's a perfect summer watch. Any hoodle. Anyway, in their music video, they wear fuzzy cowboy hats and dance and sing in industrial elevators. And now I present to you sentences that are so perfectly written on Wikipedia that I don't need to do any editorializing. For undisclosed conflicting personal reasons with the record label, 
Kalima Williams, who was not the sister, who's not a sister, distanced herself from the sisters after the release of the album and was replaced by Cree Lamour, a solo singer who Irish and Lamisha, who are the Grinstead sisters, personally picked to join the group. The new lineup released a single called the released a single for the movie called Pootie Tang from the movie Pootie Tang. Though shortly after this, Camila Williams returned to the group and for undisclosed reasons, Cree Lamour left the ensemble. With the, tr- with the return of Camila Williams, they released the album Star, which is mostly re- remembered for the single I Still Love You. The group then disbanded in 2006, then regrouped again in 2017, and appeared on the 2017 Soul Train Music Awards. Wow. Yeah. 702, I mean, this song, I couldn't believe, though, that it spent 30 weeks in the top 20. This song was also everywhere, but unlike a lot of songs that were everywhere, <coughs> when Steal My Sunshine, I... Was not sick of this song. I really love this bop. They were they came out around the time of like Destiny's Child and them and Black, which Billy Woodruff also directed a Black music video, which is why I confused the two music videos together because they were very similar mm-hmm. in sort of a uh, palette theme and also just like general theme. They were like in industrial spaces, yep. kind of like wearing like iconic weird outfits. They were like vaguely futuristic, like yep. that cat, that fuzzy cowboy hat had like a weird futuristic feel right. to it. Those are all of our personal picks, but we're going to run down some honorable mentions. Um, uh, my favorite honorable mention is Candy by Mandy Moore. Yeah. That music video was great. So the good. VW Beetle, that was a really long commercial for it. Yeah. She also says me and Candy like um, Jenna from 30 Rock. May and Candy. Which is such a fucking hallmark of the time uh, in, in a way to sing for whatever reason. I have two quick things to say. The song is still a bop. I know Mandy Moore has openly said that she hates the song and wants to refund anyone who bought a copy of her album So Real. But out of all the blonde pop star explosion, I would argue this song is in the top three of like the 98, 99. It's so it's good. It's such a good it's song. It's so catchy. And I think it does still hold up. I feel, I heard this song in a dance class. Shout out to Choreography at ODC Dance Center in San Francisco. He does a dance with this song, and I, when I heard it, I immediately started singing. It's one of those things, similar to Blink-182's All the Small Things, which also has a spot on our honorable mention list. Yeah. When you hear, as soon as you hear the song, you remember all of the lyrics. For whatever reason, you're like, oh, cool, I'm so glad that I can't remember algebra, but I know all of the words to candy. And the spoken uh, interlude. Love always, Mandy. Mandy. I'm craving for you. I'm craving. I'm missing you like candy. That was our harmony. Yes. (laughs) Next is Hot Boys, the remix by Missy. By the way, I love, I forgot, and I also love that the ostensible hot boy is genuine in this music video. That's great. He was a fucking hot boy. That was like the perfect time to feature him in a music video about hot boys. That's like a connection to all of my homes because Missy Elliott is from Virginia and Genuine is from D.C. So anyway, I had to say that out loud. My first note is that Hot Boys is the spiritual prequel to Tempo. I know. That's what I said. Oh my God, no, you did. Tempo in my thing. Yes. Which might be my favorite track on that album. Same. Oh, I don't know. I like Soulmate a lot. That is a good track. But anyway, I... I don't know if I said, no, I didn't say it in the Bachelorette group that I think I just texted it to Emily, but I was like, has anybody tried playing Soulmate by Lizzo for Hannah to see if that helps her with anything? She won't, she won't listen to that. It's not country music. 
Uh, but maybe we could try. Anyway, Hot Boys is another entry into the Missy, Le- Missy Elliott iconic Luke's yeah. Hall of Fame. I love her like motors, like rhinestone motorcycle jacket, mm-hmm. the like Kate Plus Eight side swoop that looks. That's the only way I can describe that haircut. No, she yeah. had it before Kate Plus Eight. I will give her uh, obviously the Missy Elliott side swoop. Let's just call it that. She's dancing around, also in an industrial space. Sort of feels like Mad Max meets California Love yep. meets weird. Um, smack my bitch up kind of vibes. Uh, I forgot that Eve has a verse on this. Yeah. Fucking Eve was on fire at this point because yeah. I think after this she'll guest with Gwen Stefani. Oh, and yeah, that let me like, blow your mind. And yeah. that was like a huge hit as well. Um, the one thing that I have to say about this is this, in the last few years, my home state has been changing all the names to all their streets and schools because they were all named after Confederate generals and terrible people. Um, the ultimate consolation prize, by the way. Um, and it took us 150 years to figure that shit out is really problematic and bad, but I really hope that we take the time to rename some of these things after Missy Elliott, Timbaland, and Pharrell because they are all better Virginians than garbage like Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson. That Agreed. is all. <laughs> and you know what? That's a perfect segue into that don't impress me much because that do not impress, impress. A me a matcha. Uh, I don't know. This music video is probably in my mind more than the song. Because of the leopard print body, well, cape, suits, like, I just love this whole outfit. And I love the premise of Shania Twain is hitchhiking around in the the desert, which the name implies that no one's around. Yeah. And yet all of these useless men keep trying to pick her up, and she keeps telling them that that don't impress her much. Is that maybe the opening to Showgirls? Like, isn't that a little, like... No. no, Showgirls, like, at least she's on the way to Vegas. That's true, that's true. I love Showgirls because she immediately pukes out of anger in, like, the first five minutes. <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> Some acting in that movie. I don't really have much else to say other than I, this is a good song. Haim does a really great cover of it. Yeah. I have a, just, like, two notes. Oh, and Shania Twain, maybe she doesn't quite hold up as well now as a person in light of, like, some Trumpy-ish comments uh, that I don't really... I didn't want to look it back up because I didn't want to be in a bad no. mood. But... She was a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race this season, and she made some Don't Impress Me Much jokes, so let's just leave it there. <laughs> Quick things I will say, though, is um, I almost included Goodbye Earl by the Dixie Chicks in my list because 1999 and, like, the late 90s in general were great years for women in country. This is before, like, today's country radio, which is basically all white dudes with guitars talking about being in pickup trucks and having nice honeys with a cold beer um, in their hand. Um, I love this song. Um, I love that it is a part. This is the tamer end of the, like, I don't care very much for these guys songs. Like, Goodbye Earl is like the, this man did me wrong and now I'm going to kill him type of country song. Right. Um, The other thing is that this song had a country version and a pop version, which wasn't something that people did all the time. But Shania was kind of a pioneer for the country crossover world. And uh, she did a lot of those kinds of things on the Come On Over album. And this is something that Taylor Swift later on would do in her beginning of her career when she was still pretty much a country star. That's what I have to say. Well, (laughs) there is no smooth segue for this one. (laughs) Because it's ODB's Got Your Money. I think this is notable. I mean, first of all, this song is a classic song. Everybody likes this song. This was after Fantasy, so ODB was, like, very much in the mainstream. He was also on his way out in more ways than one R.I.P. ODB. Mm-hmm. But this song is very, very remarkable because it features Khalees and the Neptunes and yep. they were while they were on their come up. 
So it was probably one of like the, their biggest hits, but they were fairly anonymous in the process because ODB, although he wasn't the biggest man, overshadowed everything. Yep. And in his association to Wu-Tang as well. I think I just have a personal thing. If there were an Emily at School Dances, a retrospect playlist, this would certainly be up there with Casey and JoJo's All My Life and Missy Elliott's Get Your Freak On and For All's Beautiful. I uh, definitely remember this song is one of the first songs I dabbled in, like, quote-unquote, dirty dancing at a school dance. Freak dance. Freak dancing, which just meant grinding on a dude. Um, I had no rhythm, but it didn't matter. This was just, like, there. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even argue that maybe this isn't, like, a super danceable song. No, it's not. I definitely tried to do some choreography to it. It's not the easiest thing. Um, the number one of the Rolling Stones, 99 and 99, is rightfully TLC's No Scrubs. Yep. This song is still prevalent and relevant today. It is produced by Candy Burris, so she makes tons of fucking money off mm-hmm. of the song. It was, like, sampled in that Ed Sheeran song recently. And who doesn't know the words, again, just... As muscle reflex, you're just like, yep, no, I don't want no scrubs. Yep. Scrub is a guy that can't get no love from me. Duh. It yep. was an anthem for 99 and beyond. And it was a perfect way to relaunch TLC into the pop culture lexicon permanently this time with no scrubs. Uh, and yep. Left Eye's rap is great. And R. it's R. on P. the extended version. And yeah, may she rest. No Scrubs was the second biggest Hot 100 single of 1999 in the U.S., only behind Ding Ding Ding, Cher's Believe. Holy fuck, Cher. I know. And the music video, of course, through, I don't know if you said this, was directed by Hype Williams. Oh, I didn't say this. Yeah, so another Hype Williams-directed music video. Um, I still, of course, speaking of Candy, uh, stand, of course, the song Don't Think I'm Not. Um, I also didn't realize she had co-written Bills, Bills, Bills and Pink's There You Go. Yeah. So. Oh, Yeah. Way to go, Ch- Candy. Ch- Ch- I mean, after Escape, she had a very lucrative songwriting career, so good for her. And she's won multiple Grammys. I mean, Candy's a fucking legend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's great in Real Housewives of Atlanta. Anyway, <laughs> somebody oh God. once told me that so, the song was really fucking corny. Hate on this song as much you want. but It's catchy. The video is still funny. It's like a cat. It has nine lives, thanks to internet culture and the movie Shrek. Yeah, that's true. It continues to live on. I don't know how much Smash Mouth is still getting paid from it. Uh, I mean, definitely from, like, the, the Shrek soundtrack and all sure. of that. But, I mean, as you said, first of all, it's crazy that this song was actually associated with the movie Mystery Men, mm-hmm. which didn't do very well. No. I saw it in theaters. I really liked it. I think it has cult classic. I think you're right status now but was not well received at the time and i mystery men was essentially like the first spoof satire but it was more of like a satire because it was really well written and it had like ben stiller and a bunch of other actors Wee herman out of Wee herman drag for the first time right anyway it was a spoof satire on superheroes before superheroes were even a trend directed by mcgee the Um, music video not mystery men yeah no um it features the beginning, Dane Cook in the superhero audition scene as Waffle Iron Man, and this is before Dane Cook was like King of the Bros in the mid two thousands. He was also in Mystery Men. He was. Oh, he was. Oh, I've never seen it. By the way, I probably should see it. Um, the one thing to know is because it's had nine lives as a song, uh, devotion, as Wikipedia says, quote, devotion towards the song has been considered a factor in the intense interest towards the series and titular character and Shrek observed on the internet, and in turn has been noted as a popular internet meme. Um, and this has been become has resulted in the Smash Mouth Twitter account. Whoever is running it, I hope it is lead singer Steve Har- Harwell, who's basically brunette Guy Fieri. Um, <laughs> he gets into online fights 
with internet trolls. So for years, they respond to people who tweet about it being, quote, that Shrek song with, uh, actually, that song was number one on the charts years before Shrek came out. Um, and I love that not only does he look exactly like Guy Fieri, um, they are actually best friends in real life. And so if it's possible that the two humans on the planet... They should dress as each other for Halloween. They are the two humans on the planet that have kept gel tips alive since 1999. And, and so, also pencil-thin facial hair. Like a neck... What, what would you even call that? Like It was a like a face? neck pencil mark. Yeah. I don't even know. It, and just the... Pencil thin goatee. Mm. I, uh, it was like rockabilly, but make it grosser. Like I, I have to think they're like Steve Harwell has a stencil. Like that's how he. he I haven't it. laughed as hard as I have. Well, actually, it was a couple days ago, but I laughed so <laughs> hard at that part where he jumps up on, on the the, the car in the music video because he is not graceful. So I no. don't believe for one second he did that stunt himself. That bitch is not fucking Tom Cruise. No, no, no. But the song is undeniably catchy, and sometimes if I want to fuck with somebody, I will write some of the lyrics in their birthday card. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) From All Stars to All the Small Things by Blink-182, this is our last honorable mention. Yeah. Mostly because I want to talk about how Enema of the State is Turning 20, another album that I put on, and I still know all the words front to back, every single fucking song. And that's really, I don't know if that's a good thing or like a weird talent, or if I don't know. I should just go to the doctor and get that checked out. It's amazing how much I knew it by heart and yet didn't know what half the things meant. And I None. Think, yeah. As I mean, I've, I, mean I, feel, state I don't know if down I, on sodomy. We were talking about that the I was like, time. did yeah. I tell the story on the podcast? You but, did, yeah. 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 And I even the word enema, I didn't know what that was oh, for many years. Right. Um, I think I saw it on, like, the side of, like, a box in a Walgreens or some shit. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I have a sweet story to tell about the filming of this music video. Mark Hoppus, the lead singer, um, met his future wife, Sky Everly, on the set. She was an executive at MTV. He, um, Tom would, like, prank him and try to ask people out on his behalf. And so he asked her out, and at first she said no. Later they dated and went on to get married, and I think they are still married to this day. Aw. Yeah. Blink-182 is still a band to this day, but they're just not as good. Nope. Um, this music video retired after 65 days on the countdown on TRL, and uh, parodies, I think it's Britney Spears, the music video for Sometimes, Instinct, Tearing Up My Heart, Christina Aguilera, I don't remember which album, or which um, A Genie in a Bottle. It is Genie in a Bottle, yeah, you're right. Um, and then uh, one of the 98 Degrees songs. And- Whenever they're, like, wearing all white and getting doused. I mean, I love this music video. Yeah. It was so funny. This is truly Lonely Island before Lonely yes. Island. Actually, boys, I want it that way. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It parodies all of them so perfectly. Yep. And as somebody that was like, yeah, I don't like boy bands, even though I still secretly did. I was like, of yeah, course. this this music video is great because it's, like, making fun because they're, like, corny. LOL. Lulz. Mm. Man. I know the state. Can't believe it's turning 20. Yep. What a great album. Great, great album. Oh, gosh, that's a lot of music. We have been talking about a lot of music for a long time now. And that about wraps up the Rolling Stone 99 of 99, our personal picks. We talked about music videos. We talked about 99 in general. And now we will also talk about where you can find us on the social meds. You can follow this podcast at The Old Millennials Pod on Instagram. And we are individually on Twitter. You can follow me at, at Emily Abijan. And me at Margs Shiro. We're also going to be putting together a Spotify playlist that are our 99 picks. Well, they're not going to be 99 picks on yeah. there. But it's going to be all of the songs that we discussed 
from this episode are all going to be on a Spotify playlist. We will link to it yes. within the show notes. So we hope you enjoy. And also, if you enjoy this podcast, it'd be really cool if you could rate us and leave a nice review and just subscribe. Yep. So until next time, we bid you a goodbye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.